0: Welcome to The Heart Zone, featuring George Cannon. This broadcast is a time of teaching and encouragement from Kerwinsville Christian Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us on the web at www.kerwinsvillechristian.org. And now for a message from The Heart Zone. Here's George Cannon.
1: You know, folks, for about a couple months now, I, I realized that As a church, we were at a place again where I maybe needed to take a few weeks and just not go through a book of the Bible as I normally do, but maybe go to different passages and kind of talk about why we're here. Why does Kerwinsville Christian Church exist? What's our purpose for being here? And and I'll be honest with you, I've entitled the series, Be the Church, It's More Than a Service. Because when we talk about church and we talk about belonging to a church, it's it's not the moose, it's not the elks, it's not even the lion's club or the rotary club. It's not a social event. It's more than that. It's more than just even something that you attend once a week to, to get something from. It's It's being a part of something greater. Greater in the sense of the impact of that because you've been with other people who hold to the same things. But you're a part of something that God is doing, or that God wants. You're actually a part of what he describes as his body. And so I wanted to talk about that, because the reality is is that we can get comfortable with the way things are in church. You know what I mean? You ever get comfortable? You know what I'm saying? You get comfortable in life. You, you reach a certain point where you're like, okay, I can relax now. I, I've gotten what I want. And, you know, I've got... I've, I've got the job, and I've, I've got the money coming in, and, and and I feel comfortable. Have you ever felt comfortable? Have you noticed that it doesn't last very long? Because the reality is, I call it the law of corruption. What do you mean? We live in a world where everything is corrupting. It's, 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 it's degrading. So, for instance, you go and you buy that new whatever, at Walmart or if you go and get a new car or you go and get this, have you noticed that within six months it's not the same anymore? It's actually now if it's a car it's got a ding in it. No matter how careful you are to park it at Walmart. And somebody still puts a ding in it? It's the it's the law of corruption. We we live in a corruptible world. And so the the the, the fleeting thought and almost the the nonsensical thought that we sometimes have about it's okay now I'm comfortable actually is creating a greater problem for ourselves because if we're not going forward we're going backwards so we're going to talk today if we're going to we're going to look at the issue of church over the next few weeks we're going to talk today about the problem with being comfortable because folks I'm going to be honest with you if we're comfortable with the way our church is we got a problem And I'll be honest with you folks, we have been comfortable, so we've got a major problem. So let's talk about a church that had a problem that got comfortable. And and my heart immediately went to the church at Laodicea in the book of Revelation. If you you know the book of Revelation, you know that chapter 1 is John's vision of Jesus. And then chapters 2 and 3 are letters that Jesus has for seven Specific churches concerning things that are going on within those churches, and we're going to look at one of those letters that Jesus has for the church at Laodicea, because they thought they were doing good, but the problem is they had some problems. They were comfortable, but the reality is is they had some struggles, and and Jesus is going to tell them what to do, and we're gonna we're gonna look at that today. And maybe do a little bit of self-examination. So let me just kind of tell you, the message today is about us as a church. Now, God can speak to you about things individual in your life, and I hope that will be true. I hope that he will communicate to you as individuals about where you're at in your relationship with Jesus. But ultimately, we need to look at it and say, who are we as a church? How are we doing as a church? So let's look together. We're going to see this letter from Jesus. We're going to look at verse 14 through verse 22 in the book of Revelation, chapter 3. Look at what he writes. And to the angel or messenger of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were cold or hot. So then... Because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you said, I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing. And do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in fire To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my Father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Folks, what we're going to do is we're going to take this letter from Jesus and look at it, not just at what was going on with the Laodiceans, but maybe look and see what's going on with us maybe do a little bit of introspection for ourselves as a church. And maybe maybe the Holy Spirit would reveal to us some things that might be a problem for us as a church. Because I really believe that we're on a threshold of something here. I really believe that we're on a threshold of a turning point for our church. Because every crisis creates an opportunity for something to come that's better, that God wants to do. And so I want us to look today, let's talk about where we're at and at least admit where we're at so that we can move on before that. So what we're going to do is we're going to take this passage and divide it into three sections. We're going to see the problem that the Laodiceans had in verses 14 through 17. Then we're going to see the encouragement, what they needed to do about it in verses 18 through 19. And then we're going to see the opportunity in verses 20 to 22. So let's look, talk about the problem, first of all. Look with me at verse 15 and 16. He says this, I know your works. Let me just stop for a moment. I want you to realize something. Jesus personally knows what goes on in your life and in this church. You need to realize that. Nothing is hidden from him. The God of the universe does not have a blind spot. He is very much aware of what goes on in your life. Nobody else may be aware, but Jesus is aware. God is aware. And He is very much aware of what's going on in our church. And He says to this church, I know your works. I know what's going on with you. Look what He says there, verse 15. I know your works, that you're neither hot nor cold. I wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm, neither cold or hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth, because you said I'm rich. Have, have have become wealthy and have need of nothing. And do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. There's three things I want you to see here. First of all, we've become complacent. He says to them, you're neither hot nor cold, but lukewarm. He says to them, you're so lukewarm, I just want to vomit you out of my mouth. What's going on there? What's he talking about, George. Well, you have to understand, Laodicea was located in a valley with no natural source of water. And near them was another town where the natural source of water was hot springs, which is refreshing. How many of you like to soak in a hot tub? Isn't that refreshing? Yeah, especially if you've got back problems. You want to do that. Okay. And and on the other side of them was another town that had cold springs. And cold. how many of you, like it's it's really hot, you just want to have a cold drink, and that's refreshing to you, right? Either way, hot or cold, that's refreshing. Now what had to happen is this. Laodicea, no natural source of water, they had to get their water from somewhere. So even back in this time, in the first century, they piped in water. But what they piped it in with was clay pipes. So the cold water from one town and the really hot water from one town, by the time it got to their town, it's what? Lukewarm and it's not fit to drink because it's going through clay. But don't think PVC. Don't even think copper. Think brown coming out of your spigot. Is that refreshing to you? It's of no benefit to anyone. Why? Because we get comfortable with where we're at. We become complacent. Did you notice that? We get so comfortable with where we're at, we become complacent, we're of no benefit to anybody. Who are we benefiting in the community? We're neither refreshing, we're neither hot or cold. Did you understand what I'm saying? We've become complacent. Here's the second thing he says, look with me. Look at verse 17, I think this is interesting. You say, I am rich because I become healthy and have no need of nothing. Here's what it is: We've become self-sufficient. You say, "Well, George, we're we're not rolling in the dough around here." Doesn't have to be self-sufficiency. Doesn't have to be for them. It was they were wealthy, but for us, we can become self-sufficient because we've got it all figured out. Oh, we've got a crisis. We'll get our dream team, our all their brains together, and and we'll figure out a way to get through this. We'll handle the finances a certain way, and we'll 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 think our way through this. That's self-sufficiency, folks. We've lost the desperation and the need for God in our lives because we can figure this out. We can just cut enough and we can handle the finances enough and we can urge giving and all of that. And we can get to the place where we don't need God anymore. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's the problem. When you get comfortable, you don't need God. Did you understand what I'm saying? We've got to figure it out. Oh, we want to send kids to camp. Well, we'll just take, do like we always do and, and, and we'll take that Sunday school offering and by June we'll have all the money that we need to send kids to camp. Wonderful. You know, and, and you know what? We need to take care of this in the church. Well, we'll just, we'll devote our time and, and do this and do that. And, and we can get to the place where as a church, we are not just complacent, we're self-sufficient. We don't need God. The problem is, the problem is, look with me, this is the third thing I want you to see, is that we're blind to our true condition. The complacency and the self-sufficiency, the being comfortable with where we're at, makes us blind to our true condition. And look at what Jesus says to them. Look at verse 17. It's the, the second part there. And do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Pretty, pretty vivid description. I mean, obviously, what's he talking about? He's not talking about it in a physical sense because they had it all. What's he talking about? Their spiritual sense. They're bankrupt spiritually. That's what's going on here. They're bankrupt spiritually. Is it possible for us to get to that place? Yeah, it sure is. It's very possible, folks. I'm just being honest with you. It's very possible if a church doesn't recognize that they can get to the place where they are spiritually bankrupt. Because they're trusting in something else other than Jesus. They're trusting in something else other than God to guide them through. Do you understand what I'm saying? Have you been in churches like that? Have you been in churches? I mean, that's how, that's how we have, uh, the, the fundraise dinners. Did you understand where we no longer trust God to, to provide it, so we gotta have fundraisers. Did you understand what I'm saying? That's how, how come we could say we have, you know, we, we encourage people to leave all their money when they die to the church so we can have trust funds so that the church can perpetually go on, be dead as a door now, but live continually on because they got bank accounts to finance everything. Because we're being self-sufficient. Did you understand what I'm saying? It, it, you can get to the place where everything, you can function and go on, go on day in and day out, continue to have services, do whatever, and just be totally lost to the fact that you are dead. Is that what we want for our church? We want to be so comfortable that we don't even recognize that we're not alive anymore. Do you know what I mean? This is where they're at. This is the problem. They were comfortable. And that comfortableness, that brings a complacency, that brings an attitude of self-sufficiency, and we're blind to our true condition. We get totally blind to where we're really at as a church. You're saying, George, you're you're being kind of harsh. I mean, I like our church. Surely, that's not where we're at. Really? Think about it. Think about it. We can get there, and it doesn't happen overnight. It's not like everybody woke up to saying, oh, you know, I've decided we're going to be comfortable this, this year. No, no, it's, it's a subtle thing that creeps in. And then all of a sudden, the dependency upon God disappears. And here's what happens. When that dependency disappears, the life disappears in a church. And here's what happens next. Then it becomes optional as to whether or not you're going to be a part of that church. See, as long as there's life, and as long as there's a dependency upon God, and there's a reality that when I come there, God is there, and I need to be there with them, you don't want to miss. Did you understand? Your commitment level is increased. But as long as we get comfortable, it becomes an option. Do you know what I mean? Oh, the weather's cold today. The roads are bad. I'll go next week. Because it's just a service. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's just a service. I can sing the songs next week. I can hear George during the week on the website, on Facebook, on my smartphone. Do did you, did you see what I'm saying? Before you know it, you get into this rut and you don't even begin to realize where you're truly at. Do you understand what I'm saying? And then you begin to say things like this. Man, there was a time when when I just felt so near to God. Where is he? When I saw God answer prayers in the lives of people around me, where where is he? Boy, I wish those days were here again. See, this is the problem. The problem with being comfortable. This is where this church was at. And, and, And I'll be honest with you. How does Jesus feel about that? Well, I think if you look at verse 16, pretty evident. He said... You guys are so disgusting! I just want to spit you out of my mouth. So obviously he's not pleased with that. But here's the wonderful thing. Here's the wonderful thing because if we could, if we, if we evaluate. Remember, I told you this is talking about us as a group. We're not talking about you as an individual. Although God can be talking to you individually here. When you realize that, you you say to yourself, okay, so what do we do about it? This is the wonderful thing about God. God just doesn't reveal what's wrong. He tells you what to do about it. Isn't that awesome? That's grace. God doesn't say, oh, this is our problem, we'll just leave you there. No, no, he wants to tell you what you need to do about it so you can deal with it and move on. Do you understand what I'm saying? Isn't that awesome? That he just doesn't leave us in a place? He hasn't given up on us? He didn't give up on these folks. He's not going to give up on us. So what does he say here? Look with me, verse 18 and 19. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in fire, that you may be rich, white garments, that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Three things I want you to see here. Number one, he's telling us to look for completeness in Jesus. Look for your completeness in Jesus. What do you mean completeness? How did you get that from that, George? Well, he's saying, look, we're striving for stuff all the time. We're we're striving for, I'll be honest with you, most of us, you've got to be honest, you're striving for how big your wallet is. And if only you had enough money, you would be complete. You're striving for clothes. Do you know what I mean? You you, want to look good. You're striving for that. He, you know, your you're, you're completeness is having your eyes opened up to true reality of where you're at. He wants you to find your completeness in Him. See, how do you know if you're there or not? Well, let me ask you something. When you came this morning, what was your expectation? What do you mean, George? When you came this morning, what was your expectation? Is it just an exercise? Because you're a Christian, you know that you need to come to church and that's why you're here? Or did you enter into the place with an expectation that I'm going to meet God today and whether it's through the music or through the reading of His Word or through a message or just interacting with somebody before or after the service, God's going to speak to me about something. I'm going to meet with God because I'm meeting with His people. Did, did you understand what I'm saying? Look for completeness in Jesus. Not not in I'm doing the right thing. Did you understand? Because it's the it's all the other stuff that makes us comfortable, right? It's all this other stuff that makes us think that everything's okay, but in reality it's not. The first thing that we need to be doing if we're going to get on the right path is, is we look to Him and say, Jesus, everything else is meaningless. My My satisfaction of my soul is only found in You. You're the only one who could bring satisfaction to me. Not food, not this, not that. But you, Jesus. And that's why I'm here. I'm here to meet with you, Jesus. First thing, look for completeness in Jesus. Here's the other thing. Look with me. It's, it's interesting. What is he saying here? He said, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Whoa, 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 whoa. What's he saying there, George? Here's the reality. He loves us too much not to discipline us. He loves us too much not to discipline us. He loves us too much to let us keep going on in the wrong direction. He loves us too much not to try to stop us to get our attention. Do you understand what I'm saying? So when you look at the church and you look at the difficulties that we're going through right now, the first thing that pops through my mind is, okay, God, what are you trying to talk to us about? That doesn't mean that every time something bad happens, it's God trying to get your attention. But you at least need to initially ask that. Are you trying to get my attention about something, Lord? Because what it reveals when you go through the crisis, you ever notice when things are wonderful, when things are really going great, you don't really need Jesus. It's when the crisis happens that you realize how out of control life is and that you're not in control and it's then that you realize that you do need Jesus, right? Jesus says, look, I love you too much to let you keep going on in the wrong direction. You say, how's that an encouragement, George? How's that an encouragement? Because you basically are saying to me that he's there to take me to the woodshed. That's not... I mean, how many of you loved it when your daddy took you to the woodshed? I... I mean, holy cow, when mama took you to the woodshed. Nobody likes that, right? And you're saying this is an encouragement to you? Think about it for a moment, folks. It reveals how much he loves you. Because if he just lets you go, and let you face the stuff that you're facing because of the stuff that you do wrong and, and let, just let you go and let you destroy yourself. Is that pretty loving? No. It's not loving at all. It's loving for him to try to intervene in your life to get your attention to tell you to stop. Right? That's love. That's love. That's the second thing. third thing I want you to see here is this. Here's the encouragement. Here's, the, here's what he's saying here. Take the initiative and change your direction. That's what be zealous and repent means. Repentance is not just confession. We have a, a, a concept that repentance means I just need to confess to him that I'm doing wrong. No, Repentance is actually taking confession one step further. It's acknowledging that you're not doing right and making a decision to change and going in a different direction. Do you understand? So what it's saying here is, is that you be zealous. What does that mean, George? Well, you take the initiative in your life. We need to take the initiative in our church to not be comfortable anymore and make a decision that we're not going to be like this anymore, George. We're going to change. So then he goes on at verse twenty eight through twenty two and he and he talks about the opportunity. And here here's one of the most misused Bible verses in the Bible, because what he's communicating is actually something far more than what we make it out to be, because he's going to talk about the opportunity that's available for us as a church and even for you as an individual. Look at what he says, verse twenty. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him and he with me. We misuse this verse because we make this verse an evangelism verse and we use it to talk about unbelievers, the door, Jesus is knocking at the door of your heart, just let him in. That's not what this verse is talking about. This verse was written to the church at Laodicea. Remember, they were self-sufficient. They were complacent. They didn't need anyone. And he says to them, I'm out here. Let me in. I'm outside your church. Let me in and I will come in and I will dine with you. Very intimate term here. What's he saying here? Here's what he's saying, folks. Here's the opportunity. Jesus invites us to have an intimate relationship with him. That's the opportunity. Jesus wants to be in the midst of His people. And He wants to have an intimate relationship with you. See, folks, here's the problem, though. We've we've reduced salvation down to what happens later, that we forget what it means right now, and that you now have the greatest opportunity that nobody else in the world has except believers, and that's to have a wonderful, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ, and that he will meet with you. Here's the sad reality for us. We got so comfortable that we didn't need him anymore. And he's knocking on the door saying, I'm here. Let me in and I will meet with you. I will share a meal with you. Sharing a meal in their culture was something very intimate. Do you understand what I'm saying? He wants to meet with us. That's the opportunity that's before us. Because you can look and you say, you know, George, yeah, I'm showing up here with an expectation of being Jesus, but I'll be honest with you, with what you're describing is even here, folks. He will be here if we would just let him come. If we just let him come, isn't that what we want for our church? Is that not what we want for our church, for people to walk in and say there's something different about this place? It's not the people. They look weird. But there's something else here. It's God in their midst. That's what attracts people. Did you understand what I'm saying? That's the opportunity. Here's the other thing he says. Look at me at verse 21-22. 20, to him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I overcame and sat with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Perseverance results in heavenly honor. Perseverance results in heavenly honor. What's he saying here? He's saying, don't get comfortable. Keep pressing on. Keep moving forward. Keep wanting more. Because ultimately, one day, you will be honored. Because you'll sit with me on my throne. You'll have heavenly honor. See, here's what happens. When we get comfortable, that's just a sign that we're okay with where we're at. Did you ever notice that? That's what comfortable means. It's it's, we're okay where we're at. But folks, as a church, we can't be okay where we're at. We can't be okay with a concept that says, oh, we've got enough people now. We can't be okay with a concept, well, we don't need to reach that type of person or that type of person. No, no, folks, we need to be the kind of church that's never comfortable, that's always moving forward, that's persevering no matter what life throws at us. Because we know one day He'll give us honor.